Hello, friends. Grace and peace. Welcome. Thanks for joining us from wherever you may be. You know, after being gone for two weeks, I am so glad to be back and to open God's Word once again with you today. I believe that God has placed a special word in my heart for you, designed to encourage you and to bring hope into your life today. Uh, our family, we were blessed to take some time off, and uh, we took a trip to the mountains of North Carolina, and we rented a cabin with a family that we love, as well as with my parents. Now, by the way, if you haven't had the chance to get away during the season, I encourage you to do so. Travel with your friends, travel with your family. You need to get out of your house that you've been staying for all this time. See, this house that you live in is not only the place where you sleep and you do life, but it's also become your office. It's become your kid's elementary school, your kid's middle school. So you need some time away. It's very good for your soul. It's very good for your emotional health. But anyways, uh, so we got back now from this trip, and I've been thinking about the time that we had together with our friends and with our family, and as I thought about it, my heart was filled with joy. I was happy because of the unexpected outcome of this trip. Uh, you see, it's normal when you pack in 13 people under the same roof over an extended amount of time uh, for that environment to become an environment that has high propensity for conflict. And uh, we were there for that whole time, and we got along perfectly. No one was angry at anyone. It was a blessing to be there with those friends in our family. And therefore, that was an unexpected outcome that brought joy into my life. And speaking of unexpected outcomes, we reach this part of our series on the book of Jonah entitled In the Same Boat. And we get to this part of the story, and there's an unexpected outcome to something that has happened. Uh, first, God decides to uh, no longer bring calamity over the Ninevites who he had sent Jonah to preach against. But it's also very unexpected, the response that Jonah has to the fact that God had relented on bringing calamity over the Ninevites. We find ourselves in uh, Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. I want to invite you to open the Bible or uh, to use your phone and go to the passage and read it with me. So Jonah chapter 4, verse 1 through 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. What an unexpected outcome, not only from God, but also from Jonah as he reflects upon upon that which God decided to do. Instead of raining down judgment on Nineveh, God had rained down mercy. And Jonah is not happy with that. I think about like my own life. If I had a goal to fulfill and I had reached that goal, if I had a mission uh, to complete and I had completed that mission, I would be very happy 
if I had been there in Jonah's shoes preaching to a whole country, the message of the gospel, and I had a 100% conversion rate, man, I would be completely happy with that outcome. But that's not what Jonah experiences. That's not how Jonah responds. Jonah is angry, so much so that God in verse 4 asks Jonah, do you do well to be angry, Jonah? You know, this is a season where many of us are very angry because our world has been disrupted, our lives have been disrupted, our plans have been disrupted. And God is coming to you and I today, and he's asking that question that he asked Jonah, do you do right to be angry? Today we're going to talk about this topic of anger that many of us, like I said, we're experiencing. Many of us have been the victims of anger. Many of us have victimized others with our anger. But nevertheless, this is a season where many of us are feeling angry. And as you think about anger, I want to think about anger today in two ways. Number one, I'd like us to understand the source of our anger, where our anger comes from. It's very important that you understand where your anger is coming from when you get angry especially when you get very angry. Where is it coming from? What is the source of your anger? But then secondly, I like us uh, to talk about once we identify the source of our anger, how do we handle it properly in a way that it can become redemptive and constructive and not destructive? So the two points today are, one, know your anger, and then secondly, dose your anger. First, Know your anger. What is anger? Anger is not the opposite of love like many would think. The opposite of love is indifference. You know, people that love, they care exceedingly about the lives of others, about the world around them. And therefore, it is right to conclude that anger is an expression of love. Believe it or not, anger is an expression of love. Tim Keller says, listen to this, that anger is love in motion. Anger is the natural reaction that we experience. It's the, the feeling that comes when something that we love or something that we find joy in is under threat. Let me give you an example. If someone mistreats your kids at the park or at school or even on TikTok, you will be angry. Why? Because you love your kids and their safety and their well-being is under threat, so you feel angry. If someone unjustly or wrongfully criticizes your work, something that you have done in your office, you get angry. Why? Because you take great pride in your work. If someone that you love is ruining their lives with a series of bad decisions, you get angry. Why? Because you love that person and you hate to see where that person is going with the decisions that they are making. See, anger is something natural. It's a device and an apparatus, a mechanism that God has installed in our hearts when things are not okay. So the problem 
is not with anger. In fact, there's a problem if you're not getting angry at things that you're supposed to be getting angry. See, God, God gets angry. How does the story of Jonah start? In chapter 1, verse 2, remember? The Lord says to Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. God is angry at the evil that is taking place in the city of Nineveh because God loves people and he hates when there is injustice. He hates when there is oppression. He hates when there's violence being committed against his image bearers. So God gets angry. There's a problem when there's no anger, when there's supposed to be anger. It may be an indication that you are detached, that you may be losing your humanity. There's an issue and a concern, a genuine concern for people that never get angry. And as much as no anger is problematic, so is blow up anger. When the expression of anger is not proportionate to the source of anger. There's an issue when your reaction to things is disproportionate. It's one thing to be angry at injustice and to call out injustice and to walk and march down the streets and to speak up against it. But it's another thing to destroy someone's property, to destroy someone's business to pose a threat on someone's safety. See, it's uh, one thing to be angry because someone has said something to you in a conversation that has offended you. And another thing is to use violence against that person, either with words or physical violence. There's, it's, uh, it's one thing to be angry because you have been betrayed and some of you have been betrayed your spouse has left you, your boyfriend or your girlfriend has cheated on you, your friends have slandered you behind your back. It's okay to be angry at that, but it's another thing to desire to take your own life, to die, or even to kill them, or, or to see their lives go to ruin, desire their failure and their downfall. Jonah's reaction here to that which God does, deciding to forgive and to exercise mercy over the Ninevites, is disproportionate. We read right there in uh, verse uh, 3 what Jonah says to God. He says, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah is angry enough to take his own life. He is angry enough to do something radical. It's completely disproportionate with the source of his anger. And you may ask, why? Why is that the case? Why is there at times a disproportionate expression of anger in our lives and in the lives of the people that we love and we do life with? It's what uh, St. Augustine used to talk about. St. Augustine talked about the fact that our hearts have, suffer from a condition 
which he calls disordered loves. Our loves are disordered or out of place. In other words, we take some good things in our life. There are many good things in your life and in my life, like family, like work, like our country. And we tend to take these things and to turn them into ultimate things. They become the ultimate source of our joy and the ultimate source of our significance. And therefore, when any of those things are under threat, we overreact. There's blow-up anger in our lives because we have loved these things or these people more than God. We have talked about the story of Jonah, and we've identified the reason for his blow-up anger in the previous episodes. Jonah is a nationalist. Jonah loves his nation, and Jonah loves his race, loves his race more than he loves the God who has called him to be a prophet for the nation of Israel. That's why Jonah runs away, and that's why Jonah here gets angry when God decides to forfeit his judgment and to rain down mercy on the Ninevites instead. Jonah is saying to God, this is the one chance that we had to smite our enemies. And God, you blew it up. Now our country is once again vulnerable because our enemies will go on living. Jonah loves his nation. Jonah loves his race more than he loves God. And for some of us, that's true as well. Some of us, we love our country. We love our race more than God. And so when our nation and when our race is under threat, we overreact. Uh, Some of us love our careers more than God. And so when there's a prospect of losing our job, especially in a season such as this, or when our business is going down the drain, we are angry enough to die, just like Jonah. When our kids are not doing well, because we have deposited on them our life's hope, because they have become our ultimate source of joy, we feel angry enough to die. If you take every situation where you have overreacted with anger and you start asking the questions, what is it that I'm trying to protect? You will find that which you find ultimate joy and significance in. And 90% of the time, 90% of the time, it will be your ego. See, the key is not no anger, nor slow anger, nor, nor blow-up anger, but slow anger. Let me say that again. The key is not no anger, nor blow-up anger. The key is slow anger, the type of anger that God has. Jonah says, you are slow to anger to God right there in verse 2. He recognizes that God gets, God, God, God gets angry, but God's anger is not blow-up anger. God's anger is slow anger. Slow anger is redemptive. Slow anger has the power to identify problems. Slow anger has the, pri- the, the, uh, the power to bring up healing and, and to bring reconciliation. 
It's the type of anger that we should experience. And if we all learn to control and dose our anger, we would be healthier individuals and the world around us would be a more peaceful and healthier place, safer place. So here's the question, which leads us to the second point. How can we experience slow anger? How can we feel angry when we're supposed to be angry, but how can our anger be slow anger, not blow up anger? How do we learn to dose our anger? And I believe that uh, this uh, passage in scriptures gives us three ways, three ways of how to dose your anger. This is very practical. Are you ready? First, possess your anger. Now, I could have said own your anger or admit that you're angry, but I chose to say possess your anger. Why? Because the three things that I'm about to say start with a P, and it's easier for you to, to remember. But first, possess your anger. Admit that you're angry. Own the fact that you're angry. There's nothing wrong with that. Now, I know that it's hard for some of us to admit and to own the fact that we are angry. Uh, for some of us, uh, it's because anger is rooted in uh, relationship conflict, and many of us are uncomfortable with conflict, so we try to avoid conflict, and instead we act passive-aggressively. That's how we express our anger. For some of us, it's a cultural thing. In some cultures, expressing your feelings is a sign of weakness. Even in religious traditional circles, it's a sign of weakness to express your feelings, so you stuff your anger but when you don't own your anger, when you don't admit that you were angry, when you're not vulnerable with your feelings, you close the door for healing for yourself and reconciliation with others. See, the moment that you say, hey, I, I want to share with you that which you said, that which you have done, that made me angry. See, you're opening the door for reconciliation to happen and to take place. So own your anger and speak up and share with people the fact that you're angry. God will use that, I believe, to bring reconciliation and to bring healing into your life so that you don't act passive-aggressively, which is a behavior that's equally destructive as people that blow up their, their anger. So possess your anger. But then secondly, pray your anger. Pray your anger. Despite not being right and being angry, as God says to him in verse 4, Jonah does something right with his anger. He does something right. <laughs> and it's right there in verse 2. Notice, I mean, we have to re read it and read it again. I just picked this up this past week when I was meditating on the text. But verse 2 starts like this, and he, Jonah, and he prayed to the Lord. See, he does what the Scripture encourages us to do with our feelings. The Scripture offers a third way to deal with our feelings. Many of us tend to vent our feelings. We were taught to vent our feelings, especially older generations. Here's how you cope with anger. You vent it. You kick the pillow. You kick the couch. But we are learning that that's not a good idea because people that do that, they end up doing that with other people. It causes destruction around them. Some of us uh, have been taught to stuff 
our feelings. If it's not connected to our culture, sometimes it's connected to our personality. We're introverts, and so we don't vent our feelings, but we, we stuff our feelings. And while venting your feelings causes destruction around you, internalizing that and stuffing your feelings causes destruction inside of you, especially when we're speaking about anger. Many people, science will show you and tell you that many people have heart conditions and gastrointestinal issues and conditions because for many years, all they've done is they've stuffed their feelings. See, the Bible says, don't vent your feelings. The Bible doesn't say, stuff your feelings. It's a sign of weakness. The Bible does not say that. The Bible encourages us to pray our feelings out to God. And that's what Jonah does. He goes to God and he's very raw. He says to God, this is how I'm feeling and I'm about to kill myself for this. Just take away my life, God. I'm ready to die. I don't want to live anymore. He is raw with God. You know, some of us feel inadequate to approach God in that way. And yet, we will take that into others or we will cause harm to ourselves. We say God is holy. God is not going to understand. God is not going to accept. God may actually punish me if I am this raw with him. And I want to tell you something. Let me tell you something. God is a big boy. He can handle your feelings. He can handle the crazy things that you say. See, when we are angry at times, we say crazy things, and you know your spouse knows that when you say these things, your friends, your closest friends know that when you say crazy things, they say, yeah, I know that they're just really upset. They don't mean what they say. They look beyond your statements. And it is the same with God. When you go to God and you are real and raw and honest, when you approach him naked, when you allow him to see the depths of your heart and the depths of your soul and you're vulnerable with him, what you're doing is you're beginning to process that which is inside of you with him. You're not letting it out. You're not venting it and causing destruction around you. You're not stuffing it in and causing destruction inside of you. But you're processing with God. You're allowing God to process your feelings and to bring about healing in your life. Most of the Psalms in the Bible are prayers that men and women pray, that people prayed, processing their feelings with God. And it's interesting, when you read the Psalms, you know, they come raw to God and they're saying, God, I can't believe why you're blessing, like in Psalm 73, you're blessing the wicked and I am a righteous person and I don't have nearly as much as that wicked person who is going about dishonest gain. And as he processes that anger, that frustration with God, God begins to speak and the closing of the psalm is usually filled with assurance of love. It's usually filled with assurance of forgiveness. It's usually filled with peace that's rooted in God because that's what happens when you process your feelings with God. So I want to encourage you during the season to do that. 
You may be angry right now. There may be situations that may aggravate you, and you may be tempted to blow up, or you may be tempted to stuff in because you want to avoid conflict. I want to to encourage you to go to God in your room and open up the Word of God and, or go to your backyard, walk up to the beach. The beach is not closed yet. I hope that they don't close the beach again. But go somewhere and vent your feelings with God. Process it with God. You'll see that which God will do in your life. But then thirdly and lastly, possess your anger. Pray your anger. And lastly, preach to your anger. See, I said that when we pray our feelings out to God, the Word of God comes to us, and that's what happens to Jonah. See, verse 4, the Word of God comes once again to Jonah, and God takes the role of a therapist and of a counselor who is now dealing with Jonah and his heart. Jonah has entered into God's counseling space And God begins a conversation with him that will follow into next week's sermon. The Word of God comes to us inevitably when we go to God. When we go to God, the Word of God inevitably comes to us. And it's so important that we allow God to speak to our hearts that we remember the truths of the Word of God, of the promises of God, of the good news of the gospel, and we learn to preach these truths in the moment of our anger to ourselves. It's so healthy. It's such a means of grace for us to be able to take that which is true, that which is good news, that which comes from God, And we inject it into our souls, into our hearts. We open ourselves up and allow God to perform a heart surgery in us, in our souls. See, because so much of our anger is based and founded on lies. So much of our anger is founded on false ideas that have been planted into our conscience, that have been planted into our souls by the enemy, have been planted into our hearts by people. Lies, false ideas that are produced by our sinful hearts, and the only way to fight that, it's with the truth of God and the good news of the gospel. You need to allow the gospel to speak in your hearts. You need to learn how to do this, how to preach the gospel to yourself. Otherwise, that seed that's planted into your head, that seed that's planted into your heart, that seed of a false idea, will turn into a tree and it will turn into a forest and it will keep you in chains. You want to experience freedom, learn how to preach the gospel to yourself. The psalmists are doing that. I'm thinking of Psalm 42. I'm thinking of Psalm 43 where the psalmist is completely depressed and he asks his soul, he has a conversation with his soul. He asks three times. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And then he says to his own soul, put your hope in God. So how do we do that? 
How do we learn to preach to our anger, to preach to ourselves the good news of the gospel? First, let me just be really personal with you. You have to learn how to do a heart, a soul inventory. It has to do with the first part of the sermon. You have to ask yourself, why am I getting so angry? Why are my reactions so disproportionate? And you have to identify where it's coming from. What do I love too much that I can't see myself without? How is this offending my identity? You have to learn how to ask this question. And once you identify the things in your life, maybe good things that you have turned into ultimate things, you have to learn how to remember the gospel. So you have to conduct an internal inventory, and then you have to remember the truths of the gospel. How do you remember the truths of the gospel? Here's how you remember the truths of the gospel. You say this to yourself, God loves me. I deserve his anger because of my disobedience. I have offended his holiness. I have disregarded his lordship. I have plagiarized him. And I'm deserving of his anger and I'm deserving of his wrath, but instead of raining down wrath on me, Christ, Jesus Christ on the cross took my anger so that I can receive his acceptance and his love in return. And while I may lose anything in this life, while I may lose my reputation, our reputations can be taken away by slanderers. While I can lose material possessions, while we can lose our jobs and ruin our careers and our kids may not do so well in life, I hope that that's not the case for you. I pray blessings upon your life, blessings upon your marriage, but anything good that we have can be taken away. But this, this love, this acceptance that comes from God cannot be taken away from you. And therefore, you can be safe and you can feel secure in the love of God. And therefore, there's no reason for you to be angry enough to die like Jonah because the best thing in life cannot be taken away from you. And moreover, God's best for you is yet to come. So you can bounce out of your anger. You can say to yourself, because those things are true, because this is good news, there's no reason for me to act and blow up anger today because this is true for me today and every day. I can forgive those that have made me angry. I hope that you today recalibrate your hearts with the hope of the gospel. I hope that today the loves of your heart will be reordered so that there would not only be 
no anger in your life, nor blow up anger, but that you will experience, when appropriate, slow anger. May God bless you today. Will you pray with me? Uh, Father, we are grateful, so grateful for the hope of the gospel that reminds us that instead of getting wrath, we have received acceptance and love. And Father, while all the other things in this life can be taken away, can be lost, a crisis like this is a reminder of that we can never lose your love. We can never lose the status of acceptance that we have in you. Father, may we find comfort in that, and may that slow our anger down. May that dose our anger so that it becomes redemptive and constructive and powerful, not only in our lives, but also in our world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Let's continue to worship God today. Church, thank you for joining us this evening. I pray that God spoke to you through his word, through the worship, through the time of prayer. I pray that the spirit is moving in you. And I want to invite you to connect with us, to let us know how we can pray for you. As I mentioned at the beginning of the service, to click that connect card and to let us know how you would like to engage in the church or if you have any questions. You can also notate on that connect card if you prayed to receive Christ in this service or if you have questions of faith. And I myself or some of our other leaders would love to reach out to you and to talk with you about that because there's nothing more important, there's nothing more powerful than when the Spirit begins to work in your life. And we want to invite you also to engage in all the different aspects of our church because you can engage regardless of where you're at in your faith. You can belong before you believe. And we want to be alongside of you in your journey of faith. And so uh, partner with us, engage with us, click that connect card. Join us tomorrow for live prayer on Instagram at 12.30 p.m. We would love for you to tune in and share your prayer requests there as well. We'd also love for you to download our app. Our app is a Crossbridge Church app. Uh, on any Android store or Apple store, you can download it. And there are so many opportunities for you to uh, just connect that way as well. There's events that you can sign up for like our DCL Digital Connect Lounge where you'll get the Zoom link uh, for the beginning of the service next week. There are the sermon notes. There are the, There's the sermon as well posted on our um, YouTube page. You can connect to there if you want to re-watch it later in the week. You can submit prayer requests. There's so many options. So download our app, Crossbridge Church app. And so as we close this service together, I've been thinking about this verse. I actually shared it this week on uh, the live prayer on, on Thursday. And it's a, a verse from Jeremiah 14, verse 22. And I've been thinking about it because it's been raining a lot recently. You know, many of us, we're walking and all of a sudden just starts pouring. That's the Miami summers. And, and the rain is actually meant to not just inconvenience us or make it make us feel okay to stay home and watch Netflix because everybody else is home. It doesn't just ruin our potential beach day, but it's actually meant to remind us of God and his sovereign control over everything. And we really need that message that God is in control of everything, that he is stable and he is consistent and he is faithful, especially in a time like this. Here's what Jeremiah 14, 22 says, and this is 
the benediction I want to leave with you. And I, I pray that you would remember this every time that it rains this week. Because we know it's going to. Here's what it says. Do any of the worthless idols of nations bring rain? Do the skies themselves send down showers? No, it is you, O Lord our God. Therefore, God, because you send the rain, therefore our hope is in you. For you are the one who does all of this. Church, God is the one that sends the rain and he is faithful and he is consistent and he is the one that does everything. He is in control of everything in your life and he is there for you. I pray that you would remember that when it rains this week. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, go in peace.